I'm going to go ahead and get us started. You know that I've been, the Lord's had it on my heart to teach a couple of the, the truths that most of the time we overlook in the Christmas story. In fact, most of the time, like last week, we really went through and, you know, kind of looked at the whole, the whole aspect of how the Holy Spirit fit, fit in to uh, how Jesus was born and how John was born. I mean, when you're Zacharias and you're probably in your 80s, a little bit like Abraham, right? He, he's been told. How many people in your 80s want to be told by an angel you're going to have a kid? Anybody? I don't. It may have been like, hey, I haven't had a kid all my life. And when I was in my 20s and 30s, yeah, I'm believing God for a kid. But by the time I was 80, whoa, no. And you actually see that Zachariah actually had to have his mouth shut because I think he was kind of like, Lord, I'm done with that. that. That prayer was a long time ago. There was a time limit in my mind by that prayer. And the angel shut him down. Gabriel came in and said, nope, I'm not going to let you speak against this. You know why? Because our words matter. Our will matters. I, I will tell you this, and I know this may be, you know, your imagination go wherever, but you got to go home and tell your wife, hey, we've got to start making a baby at 80-something years old. Do you know that this is one of those things where there was so many things that had to happen that it was almost impossible. And you know what? I find that when things seem impossible, I'm not saying they are, but when they seem impossible, we tend to just say, we just won't do it. See, there's a, there, there's a lesson to be learned in there, is that I can go and I can start a ministry when I'm in my 40s, but I've known people who didn't start a ministry that the Lord told them to, and they were in their 60s and 70s and 80s, and they were still doing the ministry that God called them to do. And it was way, way, way down the road from when they said, hey, I want to do this. Yes, Lord. You know, sometimes our yes, Lord's, they take a little bit of time to cook. You know, there's a, there's a purpose that the Holy Spirit does where he continuously keeps things before our eyes. And we need to be the ones that say, yes, Lord, even if I'm 80 years old. Amen? You know, that's one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to read the scriptures and see that God was dealing with people. He was dealing with people of all ages, all backgrounds. We all have our flaws. We all have things that, you know, that we don't really understand. And sometimes we won't push forward towards the things that we're looking to accomplish because we think, well, we're already past our time. And see, that's one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to understand how that Holy Spirit connection works in our life. So that was last week. And this week, we're going to kind of talk about, we're going to talk about the heart of Christmas. We're going to talk about how, how we actually had the heart of Christmas brought back to us because of John and because of Jesus. Do you know that we can't imagine what it was like in the first century A.D.? Like, there's nobody in here that can actually go, well, you know what, I've lived through times like that. 
If you went back to the Great Depression, if you went back to the Dust Bowl, it was completely different than even those. Because they were dealing with things that, that even the people that have had hard times have never dealt with. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to kind of get in there and understand exactly what was happening in people's lives. Because you kind of get a mindset of where they come from. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and get us started in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to be bouncing around here a little bit. Um, you know, I only have 87 slides, so it's going to be fine. You know, <laughs> Matthew 2, 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has, who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen star, a star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, this is, the, this is the great thing. You'll find out that the Magi was actually Middle Easterners. We're, we're talking about people that were from like, you know, Babylon area. You know who was a Magi that was also a Jew? Anybody know? Anybody? Anybody? Daniel. Daniel was the exact word him and his cohorts that he lived with were of the Magi when Nebuchadnezzar and all of them were there. See, what we don't understand is that although the, the Jews could have been taken out of, out of Jerusalem and put into Babylon, do you know that Daniel and the Holy Spirit was there talking about the Messiah? That we get a lot of things about the end times and, and Jesus and everything out of Daniel. The, the, actual, the actual wise men that we think of weren't three, by the way. We, we typically try to attach three because they had gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Well, then there was only three guys. One of them to, to handle each one. But no, we're talking about thousands there was probably upwards of 1,200 people on camels. You know why? Because Daniel had told them about the Messiah that was to come. They didn't walk around and say, hey, where's the, where's the Palestinian king? Hey, where's the Egyptian king? They knew that a star was going to be formed and it was going to have to do with the Jewish people because Daniel and all of those prophets that had went to Babylon had told them about it. Very interesting kind of things when you start really pull, pulling these together. Because God, he, he did what I call Romans 8.28 them, right? Everybody know what Romans 8.28? He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to their purpose. Well, Daniel is it, you know, living, living it up in Jerusalem and they come in and they, they blow Jerusalem out and they bring Daniel in. Well, you know what? Daniel had to go and live in Babylon. So he had to go and be a prophet, not to Jerusalem, but he was a prophet in Babylon. Very, I geek out on this kind of stuff. If you don't, that's fine. Uh, you know, you can go, you can go listen, you know, put your fingers in your ears because I'm going to tell you, if you don't go back and read some of these things, you will not get the gravity of what God was doing. You need to understand that God did just more than just say, eh, randomly we're just going to let things happen. 
There was no random about it. This stuff was laid out. And we're going to see some more of that here in just a second. In fact, in verse 3 it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. Now, I want you to understand something. He was troubled and everybody in Jerusalem was troubled too. Now, why was that? Well, let's just say this. If you've not heard from a prophet in 400 years, Malachi was the last prophet that spoke. And there had not been a prophet in 400 years. And you had went through all of the occupations of Assyrians and you went through the Greek occupations and then you went through the Roman occupations. You start learning things maybe a little bit differently. You may start going, you know, after 400 years, there's a promise that there's going to be a Messiah But let me ask you a question. Where's the Messiah? You know, there's a lot of people that go out here and say, the kingdom of God is at hand. And how many people, when they see that, they go, "Eh." I'm I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I I sometimes will see these people that are like, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And I'll go, okay, yeah, Lord, I know you're coming, but, you know, I got to do my thing today. Oh, don't look at me with you bunch of self-righteous folks. Y'all think the same thing. You're like, I got my stuff I got to do today. I'm not going to sit around and try to, try to you know, uh, just think, well, we're not going to do anything today. We're going to think about the rapture. Well, you know, this is where they were at. And if we don't understand that, then what we do is we start negating the fact that Jesus' coming was not joyous. This was a fact in God's mind. In fact, it says here in verse 4, and it says, And when he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired them where, where the Christ was to be born. He had no qualms. He knew that it was the Christ. He knew it. And he wanted to know where he was going to be born because he was upset about it. Verse 5, and it says, And they said unto him, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, the land of, of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod went, uh, had uh, the wise men called secretly and determined from them when the star appeared. And he said And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I come and I worship him also. See, we need to understand something. Herod and all the people, all the rulers, all the Pharisees, everybody, they were not looking for Christ to come. Now, that may be a shock to some people because They may have seen this as, well, you know, everybody was looking for Jesus to come. Mm -mm, Not at all. In fact, we're actually going to see here in a minute that there had to be some things that happened first before people would get excited about Jesus coming, about the Christ coming. In fact, if we go down to verse 12 and it says, speaking of the wise men here, 
Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed in their own country another way. And in verse 16 it says, And then Herod, when he saw that he had been deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all male children who were in Bethlehem and in its districts from two years old and under according to the time which had been determined from the wise men. Now I want you to understand this. Herod had a whole plan. He was going to have this kid killed anyway. Go show me where he's at. I'm going to send people. We're going to kill him. Because I don't want the Messiah to come. Because I'm king. Because I'm God. Because I'm the one that rules. Selfishly, I don't care if there's a Messiah that comes back. Because I have everything that I want. Now you may be saying, well that was Herod. And Herod was evil. Yeah, Herod was very evil. But this was the prevailing thought through all of Jerusalem. There was nobody that wanted Jesus to come back. In fact, we read this, I think it was last week, where, the, where God shows up in a field full of shepherds. Shepherds. People that were out there with their sheep. And he was the one that said, Jesus is coming to the earth. And they sang the hallelujah chorus, right? But see, this was the reason why he went to the shepherds is because they were the ones that would have said amen and hallelujah. Because all the people who ruled over, they were not going to accept Jesus. We see this throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, you may be saying, well, Dusty, that's, you know, that seems real cynical or you know, that, that seems like you, you think that they were, you know, they were evil in that day. They were! They were evil! Exactly! If you're thinking that, then we're on the same page. Everybody's, whew, we're, we're locked arm in arm. Because they were evil folks. It kind of reminds me of our government right now. Whew, I don't know if I need to go there. But I will say this. Our actual government... We'll know what's right and wrong and we'll do the opposite. It's the same spirit. It's the same idealisms that are happening and prevailing today because people love power. You know what? I think that there are people, and Herod was one of them, because he was taken over. Herod was not the king. Herod was the emissary king. He was in the region and he was, he was put there by Rome so that Rome could tell him what to do. See, this is the thing. I think that, man, should I even say this, Lord? I'm going to say it anyway. My flesh is saying do it. I think that we could be taken over by a third, another country and, our, and a lot of our leaders would be okay with it because they would still get to rule. See, that's the mark of the Antichrist. They would sell us out. And that's what had happened here. Is all of the king, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you know, all of these folks had sold out to an idealism of, well, Rome's really leading us. As long as we do what Rome wants us to do, then we're going to be okay. 
didn't matter what the people on the very bottom, if, if they were dying and, and starving. And See, this, this is a truth. I, and, and I was telling Jason about this before. I like to sit down and think about the person. I like to think about what Herod was thinking about. I like to think about what Nicodemus was thinking about when he was talking to Jesus. I like to sit down and think about what Peter and, and James and all the other disciples were thinking about when they were talking in the Bible. Like all the things that would be going through their mind. I mean, you get a better sense of, man, there was some consternation. There was things that was going on. And this was the problem that Herod had was that his selfishness was going to kill the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He was going to kill God himself if he could. He was shaking his fist in God's face. Herod did not believe in God. Now I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people I know that they say, well, I don't know if I believe in God or not. I've not seen him do anything. Well, you know, it's not been 400 years since God's done something for you like it was for them. You know, I love, I love that when Malachi kicked in and he told his last prophecies, you know that it was 400 years until the last prophet. And the last prophet was John the Baptist. He was the last prophet to the actual, and I said this last week, he was the last prophet and the spirit of Elijah was upon him. You know why it mattered about the spirit of Elijah and the spirit of Aaron? It's because these people spoke directly from God, not in some weird way, but they spoke directly from God about the things God wanted them to speak. I love Aaron was the first prophet to, to the actual, um, to Israel. And he was the one that prophesied. Well, his mother, John's mother, Zechariah, was married to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was actually kin in the bloodline of Aaron. It's all of these things tie together. And it matters. Because God was tying a bow on it. And he was making it to where there was no doubt about what he was doing with his son. Amen. So I put this scripture down here, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, and when the desire come, it is the tree of life. What is that desire? It's the thing God is putting in your heart. Whatever God's putting in your heart, it'll be a tree of life unto you. And you may go, well, Dusty, well, I have a lot of things in my heart. But your heart is this actual word. It's like cardia. It means the core innermost being of yourself. It's the thing that if I pulled a gun out and put it to your head and I said, believe the opposite of something, that you would say, no, I will die for it. That is what a core belief is. See, a non-core belief is not something of the heart. A core belief or a non-core belief is just something that I have in my mind. How many people have had things that you thought you believed, right? You know, I, I make this joke all the time. My grandfather used to go around and say women had less ribs than men because, you know, God took the rib from, from Adam's side, right? And so I believed that. And I went into my first biology class and I said that. You know how stupid I looked? Thank you, Papa. That's great. He's probably looking at us right now going, 
But do you know that this is one of those things that I look at is that in my, in my life, you know, there have been beliefs that I wasn't fully sure about. I sort of wavered on them. And those particular ones that I wavered on, those you could, you could sway me on. You could show me a little bit of evidence in a different direction, and I would go, oh, okay. Like, you know, when it comes to, like, theoretical physics or, or anything that I've studied when I was taking, uh, you know, engineering classes and things like that when I went to college, there are things that we are learning now that they didn't know 10 years ago. And there are people who have a core belief that they're still dying on those, on those, you know, dying on that hill. I mean, there's a lot of people that they believe that the Big Bang was an actual thing, that it was that it was this thing where where everything coalesced together and then exploded. But they're starting to find out that it came from somewhere else. That it wasn't a single point. It was something else. And they're trying to figure it out. And they're, they're trying to understand it. But you got people that, that they, they want to believe it. See, that's the thing is that when you don't have something in your heart, you'll let it go. When you don't have it as a core belief, then it will make your heart sick. It means you start letting go of the things that you once believed. See, that's what happened to Israel. They had once believed in God. They had once believed that he was coming back. They once believed that there was a Messiah coming. But guess what happened? 400 years of silence. 400 years of nothing. You know, one of the greatest things that ever happened to Israel is when Babylon and all these other people came and took them over. You know why? Because that's when they got saved. That's when they started going, Oh God, help us. And you know, God would come and help them. And then they would be good for like 200 years. It was like a 200-year cycle. It was like, all right, we, you know, Moses put everything in. About 200 years, all of a sudden, people started worshiping idols. They would end up having an occupation. They'd end up having somebody come in and start taking over part of their land. You know that that was one of the reasons why God himself brought all the prophets See, the beauty of this is that the Holy Spirit was given to us to where we're no longer without a prophet. See, our heart doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be sick. It doesn't have to let go of a belief system because we have the Holy Spirit that's constantly going, no, this is true. Now, if, you've not, if you're not saved, you're in the same boat that the Israelites were in. If you're not saved then you never have the Holy Spirit sitting there going, this is truth, this is truth. In fact, the Holy Spirit actually has to prepare your heart. So hope deferred makes the heart sick, and that's exactly where they were at. So there needed to be a desire. There needed to be something from God that was brought in. There needed to be somebody who prophesied to these people. And that person was John the Baptist. We actually read this last week, but in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Speaking of John the Baptist, he will also go before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom 
of the just. See, this is an actual quote out of Malachi. This was the last two verses of Malachi before Malachi shut up and there was no more. There was nothing from God anymore to Israel. And it says, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So if we go and we look at what John the Baptist actually did, and John did a lot of things. A lot of people just goes, well, you know, John just roamed out in the, you know, out in the desert. He didn't do very much. Well, no, he did a lot. We, there's things about John that we don't even have written. But John was so influential that he was actually calling people out to come into the desert with him. There was hundreds and hundreds of people that were doing this. People knew John. John was a person that you, you probably didn't want to be around because he was wearing camel's hair and, you know, he, was, he didn't look very good, right? But we're going to find out a couple things about John. Matthew three thirteen it says, And Jesus came from Galilee to, uh, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. By the way, how many people think Jordan is the most holy of all the, the rivers because, you know, everybody... Do you know that it was the place where everybody put their feces? It was a, it was an actual, it was an actual, what, what do you call it? It was like a sewer. <laughs> yeah. Do you know that this is one of the things that most people don't understand? In fact, everybody who goes to Israel and they get baptized in the Jordan, well, you were just in an old sewer is what it was. That, that makes it feel really holy, right? That meant you really wanted to get baptized. Anyway, I'll move on from that. But that's just a thought that I just want to have running around in your mind a little bit here. And it says in verse 14, it says, And John tried to prevent Jesus by saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But in verse 15, But Jesus answered and said unto him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now I want you to understand something. What righteousness was being fulfilled? Like righteousness, if, if I just boiled it down to the simplest terms, being in right standing is, is the term that I would use for righteousness. So we have to understand what is being performed. Because all righteousness has to be performed and this is the moment that it happened. In fact, we're going to find out here. Then he allowed him, in verse 16 it says, And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, if we take John's purpose, if we take the actions that he was supposed to have, and if we take this moment, this was the, the final moment of John's ministry. Do you know that this culminated to the final moment of his ministry? He didn't do anything worth note after this. You know why? Because this was Jesus' time from this point forward. Now, you want to know what all righteousness is? Anybody want to know? You guys are all like, all right, I'm, I'm going to wake you up with this one. This is going to be a shouting one, right? 
But all righteousness was fulfilled because the Holy Spirit now was not just a part of Jesus, but he was on him and in him. Do you know that Jesus got filled with the Holy Spirit right then? Jesus was man created by God and infilled by the Holy Spirit. All righteousness was that he was the first one to be God and man and also have the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of him. That is the exact same thing for me and you. When you accept Jesus Christ, you are connected to the Father and now you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You become the Holy of Holies. You become the person of God. So you start fulfilling all of the things that John the Baptist had said. You know, John was prophesied about, right, up here in Luke 1-7. Man, when you get this, this right here just changes the way you see everything. Because it says, The power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Now, I want you to understand something. Who's one of our fathers? God the Father. Do you know that now God the Father has a direct communication aligned with you that you didn't have before? And John the Baptist had to be the one that brought it together through Jesus. You're going, how? He, Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet. Well, see, the covenant had not been fulfilled. People couldn't be saved. But he was the first man to have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all together as one. That meant that he had all authority because God had given authority to Adam back in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Remember that? We talked about that. And if he had all of that, he had Adam's authority and now he had access to God's authority. That meant there was a single point. There was a person that now could be God-man. See, the spirit of Christmas and the heart of Christmas was to bring the fathers back to the children. It meant that you got to be in the family again. Amen. I, I got news for you. When I saw it, I shouted. I was like, Hallelujah! That's good stuff. You know why? Because I know without a shadow of a doubt that my salvation is not based upon something flimsy. It's based upon God's word. Amen? <clears throat> Let me get some of my concoction up here. Don't ask me what it is. <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. And it says in verse 16, it says, when he was baptized, Jesus immediately came up. Oh, I've already read that. I'm sorry. John 1, 6. And it says, There was a man sent from God who was named John. And this man came uh, for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, so John was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. Verse 9 says, And that the light... The true light was given light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And it says, he came to his own, 
and his own did not receive him. He came for the Jews. He came for the Israelis. He came for those that had already written off the Messiah. You know, this was always a just, I never understood it. I never understood how you could be, how you could grow up and not look for the Messiah. It was taught in every single school. If you were a male in Jerusalem, you got taught from the time you were like three years old all the way up until you were, until you were 13. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I never, I, I, I never could get the, the idealism that everybody just about would walk away from Jesus at the very end. And it was for this simple reason is because they had all given up on the idealisms of who the Messiah was going to be and what he meant to them in their own life. They'd gotten just bogged down in it. And this is where it gets really good. All right. And it says, but in verse 12, it says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name. This was the connector. This was the, this was the intertwining. This was the, the ability for us to legally have access unto God. Your legal right for you to be saved and to be a part of God's family was given because Jesus came into the world. And John was able to actually prepare that, not only in people's hearts, but he also prepared that in Jesus. That is the thing that we need to understand. Who were, in verse 13 it says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, when we accept Jesus Christ, then we are born of God. In our spirit, our spirit man was made new. That means that we become a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old things pass away, and now all the good stuff, all the new stuff get to come along. See, we need to understand that God himself said, I'm going to remake them from the inside out. Is how it happened. In verse 14, and it said, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, and the glory as the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. In verse 16, And of his fullness we will all receive Grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This word grace for grace is that Jesus was always the gift. How many people remember in Genesis that just as soon as God found out what Adam and Eve had done, he turned around and he looked at the serpent and he made a promise. He made a grace promise, actually. See, this is what we don't, we don't get if we don't tie this together is that God himself looked at the serpent and said the seed of the woman well, woman doesn't have a seed well Mary gave birth to the son of God by the Holy Spirit and it said the seed of the woman shall bruise your head 
She'll crush your head and you'll bruise his heel. See, that was a promise that he was going to send another Adam. He was going to send someone that had the ability to fix all this stuff that y'all just broke. And see, that's why it says, for the law was given to Moses. The law had to go to people who were lawless. We hear the sirens going on in the background. Do you know that I don't, I don't go after the law of Britain. How many people, they subscribe to all the laws and constitution of Britain? Anybody? Do we have dual citizenship people in here? The answer is no. We subscribe to the laws of the United States of America. Well, the law was given to Moses for a particular people for a particular purpose. It was not given to the Gentiles. It was not given to anyone but to Israel themselves. But see, Jesus came to give us grace and truth. It meant that we, we live without the law and we understand who God is through who we are. So you've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. He's telling you all the time, God is good. God loves you. Well, I just don't see it. You know, I actually talked to a guy not too long ago, and he actually said, I said, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, you couldn't make me change my mind. This is one of my core beliefs. I believe it. If you've accepted Jesus, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is constantly telling you God loves you, and he's got a good plan for you. And this guy goes, well, I don't know if I believe that. I've been saved for a long time, and I haven't really heard that in myself. And I said, I think you're lying. You may go, well, Dust, you just called him a liar. I did. You know why? Because I think too often we will get the thought that's in our, that comes from our heart. The Holy Spirit will drop it into us that God loves us. And then we go and we try to imagine that in our circumstance, in our situation. See, that's what I want you to understand is that the Holy Spirit is trying to pull you out of your circumstance, pull you out of your circumstance and situation, and he wants you to know it so that you can overcome it. But see, we can't overcome unless we have the overcomer and we're listening to him. This, this guy asked him, I said, go back, pray about that and come back to me. He came back to me a couple, like a week later. And, I, and he said, you know what? He said, I heard the other night that God loves me. I was just sitting there on the bed and all of a sudden it just popped into my head. God loves me. And I said, because he does. And the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you, he's been trying to tell you this whole time, but you decided not to listen to him. And he goes, well, how do I keep it happening? I said, it doesn't stop. I said, you just have to listen. See, that's one of the reasons why Jesus always said, he didn't say have eyes to see. He said, have ears to hear. Because the Holy Spirit's constantly talking to us in that still, small voice. See, God himself is trying to get the message of love and and of your, of your inheritance out to you every single moment of every single day. You know, there's a, there's a point that we have to come to, and, and I think it's great for us to think about this in this Christmas season. 
Because in this Christmas season, we all are looking at, you know, the candies and nuts and the, the gifts and the, and the parties and all the different things that, we, that we're supposed to do. And we think, well, what is this all about? This is all about us knowing what God did for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come just so that we could have December 25th. By the way, he probably wasn't even born in December. It was something that was put together by the church. Is it bad for us to have Christmas on December 25th? The answer is no. See, what I want you to understand is that this is a time and a moment. Jesus doesn't care when, when his birthday was. Jesus wants you to believe and to know the goodness of God in your life that he brought about. That he's returning your heart and his heart together. You need to know who Jesus is in your life because if you don't know, and I'm, and I'm talking to Christians, I'm not trying to say anybody's not a Christian in here. I'm just saying that I know in my own life when I don't give the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to, to just instill in my heart where I, I'm in Psalms, uh, Psalms 47 where it says that be still and know that I am God. See, we get to running around and we try to have Christmas, but we don't live in Christmas. This is a perfect time for us to be still and know that we are in God and He is in us. Everybody head bowed and eye closed. In fact, right this minute, I just want us to be still for just a second. I want us to, to know that He is God for just a second. church he loves you he wants the best for you he wants you to be in a place where you're constantly hearing the thoughts that God has toward you he wants to he wants you to know the peace that passeth all understanding he wants to be able to give you good things he wants to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus you can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens you. Father, we come to you in Christ Jesus' name. We just thank you that everybody that's listening to the sound of my voice, I pray that this Christmas, that we, that we lock down the thoughts and the beliefs of the grace giver. That Jesus, the one that gives us these good gifts, that we believe in his promises and that we store them away in our, in our hearts. And I just pray right now that there are opportunities during this time around Christmas that they will just take time and be still and know that you are God. And that they will give their hearts, Father, into them and, and understand uh, all the things that you are trying to do in their life and that they will be a willing participant 
And we just thank you for it. We thank you for our great Christmas. We thank you for awesome time with the families. Uh, we thank you, dear Lord, that you're bringing back people um, into our lives that we may have lost, Father, that we no longer have access to. But, Father, you are bringing about the goodness of God in other people's lives through each and every one of the people that are in here. And I just pray that you bring people across their path, that they can tell them about Jesus and that they can be set free. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you're dismissed, but before you go, we do have a Christmas party at my house. Um, I'm pretty sure we can give you the um, the home address on on the screen here. But we would love for everybody to come over and fellowship with us. Ah, it's on the screen right there. So you guys have a safe trip over to our house. And uh, I'm going to try to get there with some umbrellas so we're not getting rained on. See you in a little bit. Though darkness fills the night.